welcome to the Warrior Culture Podcast. This is a space for dads and their teenage sons or any disciple of teens to pass down fortified manhood with confidence, one winning conversation at a time. While I'll be talking to the teens, to the dudes, I do want the older folk to listen in and stick around till the end for a discipleship debrief to take things a bit deeper. Let's go. Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the Warrior Culture Podcast. Justin over here, and today we're going to be talking about distress, about suffering. Briefly, let me say that, and I, I, said, I said briefly, but this is actually very boldly too, and I, I do mean it humbly. Let me say that the general belief, at least as I've detected, which I admit I could be wrong, of the Western church today concerning suffering is seismically off-kilt. And I'm guilty of it too, so I'm, I'm lumping myself in there. The common view of suffering is, at best, shallow, and at worst, unbiblical. And what I mean by the common view of suffering, like when something goes wrong in our life, as we determine wrong, we tend to have some bad conclusions as to why it is something wrong has happened in our life. Our mindset tends to be, if I am in distress in any way, I've done something wrong. Something is off. Maybe it's that I haven't prayed enough. Maybe it's because I wasn't very uh, honoring to my friend seven years ago and I forgot to ask for forgiveness and God is retaliating. This is wrong. Very, very wrong. And so that's what I want to talk about. The episode I'm sorry, the title of episode 11 is Knowing Why You Suffer. It is so crucial, for we are a suffering people. Even Christians, the most godly, warrior-cultured men on this planet, suffer deeply. So what should our belief be? Well, I've talked before about J.C. Ryle, the 19th century pastor in England who, remember he broke up that fight between the two farmers? Well, his family banking business filed for bankruptcy when he was 25 years old, and his whole life, present and future, upended. Everything he knew spiraled to the pits. Apparently, his dad made for an awful banker. The guy was too trusting. And to our ears, we might extend some sympathy. Gosh, man, that's awful for a family business to go under. You know, but it's, it's recoverable. Just hop back up on your feet, get another job, and you'll make it. However, the cultural context of the 19th century England was even less forgiving than ours is today. Socially, J.C. Rao transitioned from an equal among his peers to that of basically a butler, like overnight. It just, j- just imagine it catastrophically changing every aspect of his life, not just how much money he has, can he afford Starbucks or you know the nicest prep school in college anymore. It's not about that. Like it changed his life socially, how friends, how society viewed him. How did he handle it? Well, years later, he saw that Jesus' hand had guided the whole thing. So this is what he wrote. And really, like, it's incredible. If my father's affairs had prospered and I had never been ruined, I should never have been a clergyman, a pastor. Never have preached a sermon, written a tract, or a book. 
This single, and this is the quotes done, this single event disrupted Ryle's life trajectory, like totally, from banker to pastor. And he was saying that Jesus was behind it. And he was saying that it was actually a good thing that Jesus ruined him, to use Ryle's own words. So let me ask you, do you know why you suffer? Do you know why distress mars your life? God is elevating his name. You remember our whole purpose from episodes back? God is elevating his name. Yes. And he's using your suffering to do it. Listen, take a moment to sit there. If you got to pause this for a little bit, I get it. But you've got to ponder that reality. The stories of the scars that riddle your life, all of your life's difficulties, when they are woven together, they elevate the glory of our King. They display Jesus's awesomeness. They are part of a plan that, frankly, we often don't understand. And if we have the power, we'd probably write it out in a different way. But here's something you got to know about God. God is not chiefly committed to your ease. He is not interested in pampering you in a palace. He sends you out as a laborer in the harvest, as a soldier in the battle. So your suffering reminds you that God's focus is on himself, not you. And I understand that is a humbling, paradigm-shifting, life-altering truth that our suffering should remind us that God's focus is not on us, but on himself. God is God-centered more than anything else. As Paul Tripp writes, suffering confronts us with the fact that life is not about us, but about God. It is not about our glory, but his. And apparently, God will get more glory would, would be able to broadcast more of his awesomeness out of J.C. Rowell being a pastor than a banker. So he killed the family business. And he did it for a thousand reasons we'll never know, but that's definitely one of them. Here's another. In Acts chapter 5, you can open up your Bible right now if you want. Man, the apostles were on a roll. They had some big-time momentum going. They had put their stake in the ground. They are going to, and I quote, obey God rather than men, verse 29. This results, of course, in beatings and threats. But how do they interpret those beatings and those threats? I quote, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name, verse 41. What? That makes no sense, right? Okay, well, as the uh, story unfolds, the apostles then choose Stephen, this guy, as a deacon to serve tables, apparently. But the guy is so full of grace and power, again, I quote, that he can't help but unleash the gospel upon a hungry, perishing world. And so it's not long before a powerful group of men begin to dispute with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. That's chapter 6, verse 10. So what do they do? What does this powerful group of men who are opposed to Stephen and the gospel of Jesus do? Well, the only reasonable thing to do, I guess. They take off their coats so that they can swing their arms better. And as a group, they heave jagged stones at Stephen until his heartbeat is snuffed from existence, bruises, plague his body, blood leaks out. They murder him with rocks on the spot. Pause. 
Really pause. Did Stephen die because his faith was not strong enough? You got to answer that question. It deeply impacts your theology. Here's another one. Were his prayers weaker than the other apostles who weren't, or the other deacons who weren't murdered? Did Satan beat Jesus in that instance? You know, I am the first to admit, I think I admitted it earlier, that I don't understand everything. I'm not the expert on this topic. But Stephen's last words, as he's dying, as he's being beaten to death by heaved stones, his last words were a prayer. Here's the prayer, I quote it. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Now, how does God not hold this sin against them? The only way is if they're converted. The only way murder isn't held against them in the sight of God is if they become Christian and their sins are forgiven. In Stephen's last breath, his last words are a prayer that these guys become Christian. And that's exactly what happened to at least one of the guilty men that day. A guy named Saul. I bet you've heard of him. He was on the sidelines that day. And as the dominoes start to fall, Saul got saved. He became the Apostle Paul. He progressed Christianity more than any other dude ever, writing more books of the New Testament than anybody. I get it. It's a crazy pill to swallow. But teens, you know, young men, I'm I'm treating you guys like adult. I'm like adults. I'm I'm using big theological concepts because guess what? You're dealing with real life right now. God used Stephen's death to greater effect than he used Stephen's life because Stephen became the catalyst for Saul's conversion to Paul. A longer life for Stephen, something we all want, right? A long life and a gentle death. A longer life for Stephen or a gentler ending would have done less for the kingdom in comparison to how God agreed it to happen for Stephen to be brutally murdered by stones. We minimize or neglect or ignore this truth to our detriment. So here's the question. Do you understand why you suffer? God is elevating His glory. In your highs, it can be so easy to see, but also in your lows, even as we prepare for death. So I want to start a conversation now as we transition to a time of discipleship debrief. And I want you and your dad or you and your mentor to share some times of distress, of suffering you've experienced in life so far. You know, it could be a story you got from a year back, 10 years back. It could be something that's going on right now. And I want both of you guys to share. And again, this, you know, now is not the time to dump truck, you know, 50 stories each. But it's also it's great ammo for as your relationship continues to just keep sharing these stories and talking through them. But for this time. After sharing a story or two each, I want you to ask each other, do you think God had anything to do with that? If so, what? Now hear me, you may not have an answer for that, and that does not mean that God's not up to something. It just means it's not readily apparent yet. And it may never be until we die. But that's the question I want you to ask each other. After sharing these stories, do you think God had anything to do with that? If so, what? Listen, I'm praying for you. I, don't, I may, not, may not know you, but I'm praying for you. And until next time, fight, fortify, and farewell. Let's go!
Thank you for investing your finite time into the Warrior Culture Podcast. If you like what's going on here, make sure to subscribe, leave a five-star review, and most importantly, share it with a friend. And for real, don't neglect the discipleship debrief. It's kind of the secret sauce of success here. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, shoot me, Justin, an email at justint at c3lr.org. Grace and peace.